You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Jezebel, wife of wicked King Ahab. She was the queen, if you will, of Israel. Wicked, just as wicked as her husband, if not more wicked. And she threatened Elijah's life and Elijah ran for his life, hid in the cave, depressed, just like us. He had the same weaknesses, the same issues that you and I have. So the point was, Anybody that knows Christ as Lord and Savior can have a meaningful, even powerful prayer life. Anybody. We have a tendency to put the people we read about in Scripture on a pedestal. We often even refer to them as heroes of the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that, but it can lead us to attribute superhuman traits to those individuals. As Pastor Danny will point out in the example of Elijah, this man we hold in such high regard as a prophet of God was still just a man. If you were to meet him face to face, it would be the presence of God in him that would impress, not the man himself. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark chapter 1 as he begins his message, A Biblical Guide for Powerful Prayer. Mark chapter 1 is where we are, and we have paused around verse 35, and for good reason. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It was the key to his life. There was something about his prayer life that the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. I mentioned last week as I gave some Old Testament examples of people who had significant, meaningful, even powerful prayer lives. I'm not going to go back into those. If you missed the message, you really should listen to it because that was more of an exhortation message. You know, hopefully get us pumped and excited about the privilege and the opportunity we have to pray. Today's not like that at all. Today's we're getting into more of the nuts and the bolts uh, of, of prayer, and uh, you need to stay alert. But if you'll stay alert and you'll really listen and then do the things uh, from the Lord that we'll talk about today, it'll revolutionize your Christian life and it'll revolutionize our church fellowship. One of the scriptures I used last week, referring to the Old Testament prophet Elijah, was a man just like us, just like us, nothing, nothing special about him. His calling as a prophet certainly was special, but he's just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. One of the things we noted about Elijah, after the great victory on Mount Carmel, where God answered by fire, after that, Jezebel, wife of wicked King Ahab, 
She was the queen, if you will, of Israel. Wicked, just as wicked as her husband, if not more wicked. And she threatened Elijah's life and Elijah ran for his life, hid in the cave, depressed, just like us. He had the same weaknesses, the same issues that you and I have. So the point was, Anybody that knows Christ as Lord and Savior can have a meaningful, even powerful prayer life. Anybody. We need to understand prayer, biblical prayer, is learned. You don't just wake up one day as a Christian and all of a sudden, wow, what a powerful, meaningful prayer life I have. Just doesn't work that way. That's not the way it works. It is learned. Lord, teach us to pray. And what was the answer? When you pray, pray this way. And then he gave what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's really more of a pattern for prayer. I'm going to be referring several times to our friend Daniel Henderson's book, one of the many books he's written, uh, this one called Transforming Prayer. In it, he talks about his musical background and how the Lord gave him this thought one day about the Lord's Prayer being a biblical pattern for prayer. And he said the Lord gave him this in his musical background. Uh, it's really a 4-4 pattern of prayer based on music's most basic beat, the 4-4 four, four pattern, 4-4 four, four pattern. Sometimes you'll see somebody leading worship or leading a choir. And if it's the 4-4, four, four, they, they got the 4-4 four, four pattern. So you have the Lord's Prayer, 4-4 four, four pattern. You have the upward stroke. That's reverence. And we need to learn this. And you have to learn to pray in this pattern of prayer. This is the most biblical way to pray. Reverence. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Or holy is your name. Daniel says in his book, if our prayers are not focused on God, we're guilty of idolatry as we are putting someone or something else in God's place. One of the things I'll never forget that I learned from Daniel is based on this, we are to seek first and foremost God's face before we seek his hand. Now think about that. Naturally, what do we seek first? Lord, you know I need this. You know, Lord, they need that. You, Lord, he needs that. She needs it. And it's, it's, it's a laundry list. Now, God cares about our needs. That's part of prayer. But that's not the starting place. The starting place is our Father who art in heaven. Holy is your name. Reverence. We're not going to get into the details about God's face, but very simply, someone's face represents who they are. Their hand is what they do. Right? And it's natural, we seek God's hand. We want him to do something for us. But God wants us first and foremost to seek his face. I mean, what kind of friend is it if you have somebody, now all they, all, you know, every time they call you, every time they, they want your attention is because they want you to do something for them. That's not real friendship, is it? No, but if you know somebody that really loves you and they appreciate what you do for them, but they love you and you have the kind of relationship that, that goes beyond just what you do for one another. And hopefully what you do for one another is based on the relationship that you have. Alan Redpath, now with the Lord, but he wrote a book on prayer and in it he makes this statement and it's a biblical statement, true statement. Prayer is not primarily a means of getting something done. It is a concern for the glory of God. Very true. Very true. 
So there's the upward stroke, reverence. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And now the downward stroke, that's response. And what should be the response? May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Now, let me just quickly say, the Lord's Prayer, I say it pretty much every morning. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as it doesn't become just some kind of religious routine. And so there's nothing wrong with saying the Lord's Prayer if we mean it. But it's meant to go beyond just a prayer that we say. Again, it's a pattern for prayer. So here the downward stroke response, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. Again, quoting from Transforming Prayer. This has to do with yielding to the control of the Holy Spirit and recommitting ourselves to God's kingdom, which is a daily commitment to his kingdom, kingdom purposes. It's pledging our obedience to the will and word of God, desiring the accomplishment of his purposes in our lives. If I took the time, I'd give you lots of scriptures, especially from the Gospel of John. For example... John 7, 28, Jesus said, I am not here on my own authority. John 8, 28, Jesus said, I do nothing on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me. And all through the gospel of John, Jesus is again and again saying how he's really here for the Father's will. The ultimate prayer he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. And what does he say? Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. That's what I'd love for you to do for me if possible. All right? Remove this thing. Take your hand, remove it. Yet not my will. Yours be done. And that's one of the great challenges in praying biblically. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Again, Alan Redpath says, the object of all true praying is not to bend the will of God to mine, but to get my will in line with his. That's why you read in places like 1 John, which I'll read from before I'm done, but 1 John, we know we have the confidence that if we pray in his will, we have what we've asked. So one of the challenges in prayer is to find out what's the will of God. What does God want to do? When we find out what God wants to do, then we know what we, we have what we've asked of him. Let me read you one more thing and then we'll go to the third stroke. Again, from Transforming Prayer. Our prayer list can easily become so saturated with our desires for ease, comfort, convenience, and accomplishment that the goal of God's glory becomes obscured. Our human tendency to avoid pain, loss, and difficulty can dilute our passion for God's glory. When our goals and God's glory are in conflict, it can be hard for our hearts to choose. Is that not practical? And Jesus knows it himself as a human being. If there's any way, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will. Yours be done. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'd like you to do. But ultimately, what do you want to do? What's your will? You look at our prayer requests here at Calvary Chapel. We're typical of any church. That doesn't make us more spiritual. I'm just saying, listen, we're typical because you look at the prayer request. I'm going into surgery. Pray that everything would go absolutely well. Pray that uh, everything would be done and it would be successful. I'd go through the least pain possible and that I heal fastest, fastest, heal supernaturally. I mean, that's the kind of prayers. You look at the prayer request. Is it wrong to pray that? Of course not. As long as we don't 
leave out this part of it. This is what I love to see, Lord, but your will be done. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And then we go to what Daniel calls the inward stroke request. Reverence, response, response, and now request. Give us this day our daily bread. Again, I'll quote, transforming prayer. We do not really know what to pray for until we've worshiped well and surrendered completely. I think that's true. Praying about daily bread is more than hoping we can scrape some funds together to buy a fresh bagel at Panera Bread. This idea represents all that we need to sustain life as we serve the Lord. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this next statement, but I have a lot. Virtually every prayer list includes a resource or relationship concern. Isn't that interesting? You stop and think about it, and you'll go, yeah, that's true. A resource or relationship concern. Isn't it interesting, the Ten Commandments, first four deal with our relationship to God. Last six deal with our relationship with one another. Somebody's broken down the Lord's Prayer into two parts. You know what they suggest? Two parts. The first part is, Lord, you are worthy. The second part is, oh, Lord, we are needy. You are worthy. We are needy. And you think about prayer requests. What is it? Oh, Lord, would you do this? Oh, Lord, you know the husband I married. He's not the man I intended to marry, but I, now I'm stuck. <laughs> oh, help me, Lord. Change him. <laughs> oh, Lord. We didn't know this is what it's going to be like having children. <laughs> oh, God. You know, and it's either a resource or a relationship issue. And then there's the outward stroke. And Daniel calls this readiness. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Now, some people get confused about that, lead us not into temptation. Does God tempt us? Of course not. This has to do with the practical reality that we are going out into a world of evil and temptation. Lord, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. It's recognizing our own inability to overcome the temptations and snares of daily life. You are worthy, I am needy. Without you, I can't do it. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Now, let me switch gears. I told you, very practical stuff. Practical stuff. I hope you're listening. There are some requirements for biblical prayer beyond the 4-4 pattern. The 4-4 pattern. And the first one, it, it ought to be obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. It ought to be obvious, but I'm going to say it. If you don't want it, you won't have it. Any believer, any Christian can have a powerful, meaningful prayer life. But if you, if you don't want it, if you're not willing to pay the price to have it, you will not have it. You got to want it. The psalmist wrote, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? There's a hunger. Years ago, a pastor friend of mine, he made this statement in a, in a, in a, in a public meeting, and I was taken aback when he, when he said it. Because the way he said it, and I was like, oh, I can't believe you said that. He said it, he said it more directly than I'm going to say it. He said, the two things I love most in life, fellowship with my God and intimacy with my wife. But he didn't use the word intimacy. He used the word, the three-letter word. And when he said that, I was like, oh, what? And all of a sudden, as I went away and really thought about it, I thought, man, what a wonderful statement and what a true statement. Because 
Man, I'm a male. I hope you, I hope you recognize that. <laughs> and let me stand here today and, and, re, and, and echo what Peter Lord said for my own life. I'm going to tell you what, the two things I enjoy most in life is fellowship with my God and intimacy with my wife. And both are holy. God created sex. Satan didn't create sex. But it's to be enjoyed in, the, in holy matrimony. And I love intimacy with my wife, but I love fellowship with my God too. And when I miss intimacy with my wife, I hate it. When I miss fellowship with my God, I hate it. And if you really want a powerful, meaningful prayer life, you can have it. And when you experience it, you won't want to go without it. You really won't. You got to want it. And then it won't happen without discipline. You like to think it's just a warm, fuzzy thing that pushes you to, you know, no, you know, discipline. Tremendous practical story of Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 10. You might know the story. Martha and Mary are sisters. Martha is busy serving the Lord and serving the church, serving the disciples. Mary is just sitting there with Jesus, hanging on every word. She gets frustrated. She gets so frustrated with her sister and with the Lord. She goes to the Lord and says, don't you care that my sister is not helping with all the preparations, all the things that need to be done? And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're anxious about so many things. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand on that story. Mary has chosen what is better. Doesn't mean what Martha was doing was not good. Did you hear that? Doesn't mean what Martha was doing was not good. Mary has chosen what is better. Serving, serving, we're called to serve. We're called to serve. But there's something that comes before serving. And that's sitting at the master's feet. Mary has chosen what is better and that will not be taken from her. Makes me think again of Philippians. Don't be anxious about anything, Martha. But in everything by prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's okay to get excited about it. Have you ever want to clap to the Lord about something you get moved in? If you want to, over, want to say thank you in a public meeting like that, please feel free. Don't be shy. Nobody else does it. You can do it. It's okay. Peter said, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Listen, self-discipline is a part of so much of the Christian life, but especially in regard to prayer. Jesus said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you know and love Jesus Christ, you have a desire to have a powerful, meaningful prayer life and to serve the Lord in every way you can. The spirit is willing, but it's one thing to desire it and want it. It's another thing to do it. Spirit is willing. Flesh is weak. Takes self-control, takes discipline. And, and these are things are learned too. You can practice and develop these things. Years ago, one of our trips to Israel, we were at the Western Wall. Some people call it the Wailing Wall because Jews especially go there to pray, and a lot of times they pray and they weep and pray. Nothing magical about the wall. The reason they pray at the Western Wall is the wall that separated the outer area and inside was where the temple was and the Holy of Holies inside the temple. And it's the closest place today Jews can get to the ancient Holy of Holies, right? That's the only reason it's a place practically they go to pray. It's the closest they can get to the ancient Holy of Holies. Because on the other side is the Dome of the Rock, high and holy place for the uh, Muslims. And if Jews go in there, war breaks out. 
So they stand at the Western Wall, called the Wailing Wall sometimes, and they pray. They'll write prayers down, uh, sometimes on little pieces of paper. And they'll take those and fold them up and stick them in between the stones there in the wall. And I noticed something, especially when I was there a few years ago, there's not only people praying at the wall, there are a bunch of, especially Orthodox Jews, in this room off to the side. And in this room, they have all kind of uh, scrolls and uh, books of Hebrew scriptures. And Orthodox Jews will go in there and they'll read the scripture and they will pray. And you see them at the wall and sometimes you see them. Maybe you've seen them, maybe on TV, and you'll see them doing this, doing this, doing this. And I'm thinking that must be some kind of ritual kind of thing, you know. And in the, in the room, you'll see them walking and reading. And they're walking. And read, but they're in their own world. They're not, they're not there to, to talk to anybody. They're just there walking and reading. And even in the room sometimes, you'll see them. You'll see them over in a corner with, with, with a scroll. And they'll be doing this. And so I pull one Jew aside and I said, I noticed you guys sometimes you're walking and I especially, I'm especially interested in, 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 in you doing this. And why do you do that? He looked at me like I was a kindergarten kid that knew nothing. He looked at me like, what a dumb question. And you know what he said? Here's what he said. To stay alert. Duh. Not come some kind of religious routine. It's to stay alert. They walk to stay alert. They, they bow like this while they're standing to stay alert. Some of us, you know, we can learn from this because what do we do? We go down to pray and all of a sudden you close your eyes and I mean, it's the best, it's the best sleeping pill you could ever take. <laughs> and every one of us know what that feels like. That gets into a whole other thing of practical stuff, and, and I'll get to some of it maybe today. But discipline. Listen, closing your eyes to pray is meant to focus. But if closing your eyes, you start to get groggy, open your eyes. Stand up. Walk. Do something. Stay alert. Discipline. I didn't get into this in any other service, so I, I, I'm not going to take the time now. Hopefully, in, uh, next time we get to this, because we're going to spend at least one more weekend on prayer. I hope you're okay with that, because if you're not okay, we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> These are journals. I talk about journaling some of the time. One of the most practical self-disciplines that I started years ago is journaling, and I'm not a, I'm not a guy that that's not my forte. I'm, that's just not me, which is tied in with the discipline thing. But boy, what a blessing it's been for me. Blessing. You want to have a powerful, meaningful prayer life? It's got to be like a date. Got to be like a date. You got to schedule the time. You got to have a plan. Very early in the morning, Jesus, while it was still dark, got up and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Listen carefully as we bring it toward a close. Choose the most secluded, quiet place you can. Now, depending on your circumstances, I know that's going to be relative. All right? Choose the most secluded, quiet place you can. Let me tell you one of the most practical things my wife did years ago when our children were small. My wife had a set time. She still does today, even though it's longer today because the kids are, are pretty much grown now. But she had a set time. She was going to spend time with the Lord, reading the word and prayer. All right? And she made a rule with the children. Our bedrooms are upstairs. All right. And she made a rule and the children, when they were young, they could, they could wake up anytime they wanted, but they could not come downstairs and interrupt her until her devotional time with the Lord was, was complete, unless it was an emergency.
Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today as he walks us through the book of Mark. This New Testament gospel book conveys a fast-paced progression of events that occurred during Jesus' ministry. It's almost as if the writer intended to communicate that Jesus was continually forward-thinking toward the cross and his mission and purpose here on earth. In Mark 10.45, it says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the ultimate summary of the book of Mark. Jesus came humbly as a servant to reach the lost. Are you feeling lost today? Or have you been found and are following Jesus fully now? No matter what your answer is, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Let us know how you heard about the living word and how we can be praying for you. That address again is info at ccfstpete.church. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, come join us and hear from Pastor Danny at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're holding services each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. You'll find all the information you need on our website, ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that you'll join us again for our next edition, right here on The Living Word.